Greetings, Princetonians, and welcome back to the Princeton Tory Podcast, the first of the 2021-2022 academic year. I am your host, Billy Wade, a member of the class of 2023 studying public policy. And I'm your new co-host, Antonio McHugh, a freshman studying politics here at Princeton. As the world becomes ever more connected through social media and the internet, debates on the purpose and limits of academic freedom and freedom of expression in general are never far from headlines. Just a few weeks ago, the prestigious honor of speaking at MIT's Carlson Lecture was rescinded from Professor Dorian Abbott of the University of Chicago after some unrelated comments he made about affirmative action resurfaced on social media. Here today to talk about academic freedom, we have Professor Bernard Haeckel. Professor Haeckel is a Princeton professor of Near Eastern Studies and a director of the Institute for Transregional Study of the Contemporary Middle East. He has affirmed himself as a staunch supporter of academic freedom with his leadership in proposing a new initiative at Princeton entitled The Initiative for Freedom of Thought, Inquiry, and Expression. We welcome Professor Haeckel to the Princeton Tory podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Billy, and thank you, Antonio. It's a real pleasure to be with you, and I'm delighted uh, that you have this podcast. Absolutely, and we are delighted that you are here. So in, in order to kind of start off this, this conversation, um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what is academic freedom to you, and, and for you personally, why is it so important? So um, it, l- let me begin perhaps with the latter part of your question. For me, it's particularly important because I grew up in the Middle East. I was born and and raised in the Middle East until the age of 16. And I grew up in a a society that um, had a considerable amount of of free speech and academic freedom, but progressively um, uh, lost that, uh, that, that people lost that right and that ability. And uh, and the country in particular is is Lebanon, and it's it descended into uh, a civil war, and um, and and uh, I I just uh, you know wanted one of the reasons I really uh, appreciated uh, being in America was because these rights and these principles are cherished, and uh, and in the Middle East, whether it's in Lebanon or. Uh, in, in other places, they in fact are, these principles are routinely trampled and people uh, suffer for speaking and for thinking and for writing um, differently, uh, especially when it comes to regimes that are authoritarian that often punish people uh, for, for, for expressing themselves. Uh, and so, so that's, the, that's by way of a personal background. Um, the reason um, I uh, wanted uh, this center, uh, or rather this initiative, to be to be um, uh, created here in Princeton is because I feel that um, these principles need to be um, uh, reinforced and upheld. Um, there, there is a there. The, I do sense there is a problem um, with um, academic freedom and and uh, and free speech, and it's something that was already. Um, signaled in a way by uh, a fellow academic here at Princeton, Professor Keith Whittington, who uh, published a book called uh, um, um, Speak Freely, which if, I don't know if you remember, perhaps this was before your time, um, was um, a recommended summer reading uh, that uh, President Eisgruber um, 
um, and the university asked incoming freshmen or incoming first years to, to read. Um, and I'm, I have to also state that it, it's, it's, it really pleases me to know that our university and its administration uh, uphold these principles. And in fact, um, I believe in 2015, the faculty um, adopted the, what are called the Chicago principles. Um, and, and so that our university is a flagship university when it comes to, um, to these principles and to protecting the right of academics and of students to speak freely, to write freely, to think freely. And you know what? There are so many blessings for being at Princeton University, whether as a student or faculty, but I think you just mentioned one of, of the, the, the greatest blessings, which truly is that flagship status as, as a beacon of, of light as we look at other universities that may be struggling with academic freedom. So what do you see as, as what makes Princeton special, maybe other than, than the, the, the Chicago standards? Is, is, there, is there anything else that, that you see that, that has kept Princeton in that flagship uh, space? Well, I, you know, you, you, you see it in um, the different faculty that we have. I mean, there, there's, um, there are people that represent all kinds of um, intellectual orientations, ideological orientations on campus. Um, and, um, and so far, you know, we haven't had, thank God, uh, anything like what uh, happened at MIT recently uh, with Dorian Abbott. So for me, th that um, I think underscores that we do have a culture where, where, these, where, where, where academic freedom is cherished, and I hope it remains that way. But I do think that, you know, for, for, for these um, principles to remain um, at the forefront of most people's um, thinking, we need to educate uh, the students and the faculty and the staff of why they're important. Uh, we can't just um, assume that uh, people will um, believe or hold that they are important. They, they, there's a whole, um, you know, there's a whole philosophy, a literature, a history that comes with these ideas. And, and um, I would like very much to um, to keep talking about them, to keep educating ourselves about them, uh, and 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 so it's it's um, it's an effort I think that 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 merits um, um, you know putting in, investing investing in, into this into this effort. So it seems that you feel that the current academic state of freedom at Princeton, specifically, uh, is thriving at the very moment, but. You just want that to, to remain the case. You don't want us to take our academic freedom for granted. Is that is that a good read on how you feel about Princeton and academic freedom? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I do think I, I do think um, that, as I said earlier, we're blessed. I, I do think other universities, um, um, you know, are um, not as as uh, um, as vigilant. About, about these uh, principles and about up, um, upholding and protecting people for uh, having uh, different opinions. And, and we, we must always remember also that universities have a special role. I think a role that was uh, highlighted in uh, Professor Whittington's writings and, and in his book that, it, you know, if you don't have real uh, debate and, and, and active difference, uh, respectful, discussion and, and, and debate, 
but but real differences uh, on university campuses you won't have it in in society universities are almost like incubators of new ideas and 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 um, and and, and uh, sometimes radical ideas um and, and those need to be protected um regardless of whether they are on the left or on the right i think that you know uh, debates um ideological differences academic differences um new uh, heterodox ideas need to be uh, uh, allowed to flourish uh, especially on university campuses was there a spark or moment that really inspired you and kind of galvanized you to lead this initiative or was it kind of just a, a culmination of your background and everything that, that happened with regards to your experiences um no no it is i think it's something that uh i've been thinking about for quite some time um um I, th there wasn't a a specific spark that that led me to to, to it um but I, I think there is a general feeling, um, perhaps exacerbated uh, by um, the, the uh, Trump administration's, um, you know, the tenure of President Trump, um, where people felt, whether they were, you know, on the, uh, on the left or on the right, that that window of, of, of debate and discussion was narrowing. And so, uh, and the increasing polarization in the country uh, political polarization is, I think, also, um, you know, tugging at uh, the, uh, or at least having the effect of uh, limiting uh, um, debate, respectful debate, and respectful difference. And so I think it's important to, 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 um, to reinforce these principles, as long as you know, the, the differences are based on sort of reason and facts i mean the deployment of of um you know of standards that have long been accepted as uh standards that are appropriate for um for for engaging in 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 difference uh, in different opinions and in expressing those opinions for sure yeah so w w with all this is great context for for why academic freedom is so important you uh took it in into your hands to help lead this 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 originally a proposal for a center and then it became later an initiative uh and, and, and that is not a small undertaking and so i was wondering if you could comment a little bit about that process about bringing in people to that idea and about where it is currently at and what we can expect on Princeton campus going forward. So actually the, the, the idea, um, before I, 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 uh, I and others came up with the idea of having a center, a group of academics at Princeton um, in conjunction and collaboration with academics across the country, we set up a, a new organization called the Academic Freedom Alliance. And so the Academic Freedom Alliance is a broad-based academic alliance of, um, of faculty nationally uh, from major universities, smaller colleges, community colleges. Um, it's um, both ideologically and demographically an extremely di diverse uh, group of faculty. And we came together um, almost like on the basis of the NATO principle, which is a self-defense group that if one of us is attacked, then all of us band together 
to defend the other person's uh, right to speak and to write, regardless of whether we agreed or disagreed with what was being written or said by that person who was being attacked. Um, and, and also we uh, were able to raise funds uh, for a legal fund um, uh, to help defend an academic who was a member of the Alliance uh, who may need legal representation, legal counsel. Um, because very often, you know, that's something that is extremely expensive and often people will, uh, academics, when they do come under attack for whatever opinion they, they might have, or whatever a particular view they've expressed in writing, um, they, they often go silent and or self-censor themselves because they're afraid that if they don't do so, they may um, be canceled and then have to incur huge fees if they uh, hire a lawyer to help defend them. So this alliance uh, was formed um, and it's been hugely successful. Um, and it, in fact, the, the head of the academic committee of this alliance is Professor Whittington. So this was all incubated in Princeton. And then we brought on board faculty from uh, across the nation. And we're over 400 members now. Um, we hope eventually to open it up to all uh, faculty across the nation. And it was a, a very successful uh, effort nationally. Then uh, a group of us thought, well, you know, since we were so successful nationally, we really ought to have the equivalent of the Academic Freedom Alliance's, um, um, you know, or th that organization, we should have some sort of representation of that on campus, uh, but not affiliated with the Academic Freedom Alliance. We should have um, a, um, you know, a, a presence that upholds the same principles, but on campus. And so initially, we, uh, when we got together, we said, let's set up a center. And uh, we wrote up a proposal and I submitted it to the university administration. Um, uh, and the university administration came back and said, you know, we love this. We love the principles. We, we cherish them. Uh, but we don't we're, we're not into setting up uh, new freestanding centers without an affiliation with existing units and existing academic departments. Why don't you um, channel that energy into uh, into existing units on campus that are already engaged with these issues and and with faculty. And so I went around and spoke to a number of different units on campus and, and different faculty. And so we decided that we would set up an initiative rather than a center uh, on Princeton's campus that would essentially do very similar things, basically pr promote these ideas uh, hold workshops and conferences and speakers series that uh, that focus on academic freedom uh, and that will probably have a couple of prizes as well that we will uh, one for undergraduates one for graduate students for an undergraduate thesis that touches on these topics and on these principles um, so you know we, we're we're proceeding uh, with, with this, and what's what's truly wonderful about the initiative idea now is that we've been approached by uh, different uh, foundations, national foundations, uh, that would like to support our work and and our efforts, and have asked us for proposals. And what's particularly gratifying about the foundations that have approached us is that um, we've had. Uh, foundations that would be considered on the left 
as well as foundations considered uh, broadly ideologically to be on the right, both types of foundations wanting to, to uh, sponsor and fund uh, our activities, which tells you that, in fact, these principles cut across the ideological divide, uh, just like the Academic Freedom Alliance does, and we have members from across the entire spec ideological spectrum. Um, and so it, it, it's, you know, it's rewarding and it makes you feel good that, you know, these are principles that um, uh, lots of people share and that people across the ideological divide will come to each other's defense, uh, even if they disagree with each other. It seems like with regard to academic freedom, it's kind of a case of if you don't use it, you lose it. And I kind of sense that this is what the center, the initiative is trying to help people to actually use their academic freedom. And I feel like a lot of people, they kind of have a risk reward mentality that goes through their mind before they, they say a lot of these uh, potentially heterodox opinions. How do you encourage these people to, to kind of uh, err on the side of voicing that opinion rather than um, keeping it within them because they feel like somebody might get mad or uh, the woke mob, as so many people like to call them today, will get mad at them. How do you encourage them to, to push past that fear? Okay, so um, here, just to get a little granular, it's easier to encourage people who, uh, academics who have tenure, um, you know, to speak their mind because they feel that they won't be fired for speaking or writing. Uh, junior faculty who don't have tenure, I think, are in a more vulnerable position. Um, uh, students, of course, should all be encouraged to, to speak their mind and not to self-censor. There, I think the, the dynamics are somewhat different, maybe because of social media and the fear of being um, uh, ostracized by, by your friends and by your peers. Um, look, the problem, the problem is very complex, and it's actually not uh, confined to the so-called woke mob. Um, you know, censorship um, and, and uh, this, sort of, this form of ostracism, which has gotten much worse with social media, but it, 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 it's always been there. You know, you, you, you've had people on the right who have censored people on the left. And, and ostracize them, and you now have people on the left who are doing this to people on the right. So I, I think it's important to to uh, educate and 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 teach everyone, um, including university administrators, uh, that um, you know at Princeton uh, we have principles that matter to us and in fact are part of the rights rules and responsibilities you know um, documentation that we that that guide us uh, uh, at Princeton uh, and that um, speech and opinion is protected um, and should be cherished and uh, and even encouraged I mean unless of course it's causing you know the the usual kind of classic examples that you know you can't you know shout, uh, fire in a, in a in a theater uh, when there isn't a fire, right? I mean that 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 really causes uh, that's dangerous. That's not protected speech. But what we do as academics and as students, by and large, is uh, you know I think is is protected, unless you know it's very obvious that uh, it's something that uh, clearly is 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 causing um, very serious and grievous harm to people like encouraging riots or something. 
um, but but otherwise it's protected. And I think that effort at education and being reminded of these principles is an, is an important one. It requires courage. You know, if you have heterodox ideas uh, in any context, requires a tremendous amount of courage because there is a there's often a cost to be paid and the cost may not be you know cancellation so much but you might lose friends you know you might become unpopular and and that's that's very hard but it's also maybe a price sometimes worth paying if you believe strongly enough in the views that you're espousing i don't think anyone could have said it any better than that because if we all had the same opinion on everything there could be no innovation there could be not even interesting conversations. And so it, it's incredibly important that we do share those those heterodox ideas. Now, turning back to kind of the, the institutional question, when these, you know, whether uh, we can call them a woke mob or, or, or just mob in, in general, whether that's on Twitter or, or whatever else expresses, hey, you guys should not be hosting speaker X for uh, Y reason or something to that effect. How do you see the the best way forward for administrators and 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 university administrations that are posed with 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 activists who wish to shut down a speaker? Is there any sort of 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 just tried and true? This is what what they should do, or is that something that even today we we don't know exactly how best to recommend administrators react to those? Yeah. Look, I, I think that administrators and the university should, uh, I, I'm pretty radical in my views in that I, I believe anyone and everyone should be allowed to speak on campus, you know, no matter how outrageous and disgusting one finds their views to be. In fact, I remember when I was an undergraduate, as well as when I was a graduate student, you know, I would go to events where I found the speaker to hold deeply offensive um, ideas and I profoundly disagreed with them, but I found it uh, challenging to 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 be confronted by ideas that I disagreed with, and I, I, I it made me reassess some of my own views and perhaps reinforce some of my own views. Um, so 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 for me, as I said, I, I really do think that we ought to allow anyone and everyone to speak. Um, and I, I and I again that old saw or adage is that you know the only remedy for bad speech is more speech you know uh so, so i don't i don't think one can wish away people's views or uh or people or, or people in general by just denying them or preventing them from 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 the ability to speak i think that if if you find someone's views um offensive you ought to write or speak and explain why they are offensive and why other views are better. Great, yeah, no, uh, P Professor Haeckel, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. So as as this initiative uh, begins to gain speed, uh, where should Princeton students and the general public be looking uh, to to hear more about you and your work? Yeah, so I, I, I mean, thank you for that question. I, I think you, you'll begin to hear about what we're doing in the, in the spring semester. You know, there will be events that will be widely publicized, and um, one one of the one of the issues that we're going to probably start with um, are um, are issues, and the specific issue as to whether a university itself 
should uh, take sides in uh, on matters that are uh, in the public arena and that uh, uh, and about which reasonable people can disagree. Um, so there was a report at the University of Chicago called the Colvin Report, um, I believe it was in 1967, from the 60s. That it, it's not it's not very long. It's only three or four pages. And it presented a series of ideas and principles about whether and when a university ought to take um, a, a public position on a political or social matter that is um, either divisive or that on which people have very strong and differing views. And what we would like to do is to um, explore these principles and ideas that were presented in the Colvin Report, and then and then perhaps um, elaborate on them uh, to see uh, if and when universities um, should take public position. Because, you know, the, the issue here is specifically one to do with when the university takes uh, adopts a position, um, it, it, it makes people who perhaps disagree with it feel uh, that they're excluded and their views don't matter. Um, so it's an important it's an important uh, issue, for, f at least for me and for a group, a number of my uh, my colleagues and some of our students. And so I think we're going to start with that, and it, it'll be exciting to to discuss and debate what is clearly a very um, difficult set of issues, right? So these are not easy issues, or uh, these are not uh, questions to which there are simple, straightforward answers. And in the complexity of the debate and the discussion, I hope we all, um, you know, f learn something and, and become more, more enlightened. Absolutely. I know personally, I'm very excited for this initiative because while I think all of us here are proponents of academic freedom, there are certainly corner cases or other questions within uh, academic freedom that, that are difficult to answer and that there may not be a, a, a real simple answer to. And so uh, I am incredibly excited for this initiative to come to campus to uh, uh, help us tackle some of those, of, those, uh, of those questions. Because as you said earlier, Princeton really is a flagship for academic freedom. And what happens here will certainly leak out into the rest of the American university system or just the entire world's university system. Uh, and that's just one of the great things about being at Princeton. Well, Professor Haeckel, we could not be more appreciative of, of you coming on to the Princeton Tory podcast. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure and, and, and honor to be here. And uh, I, I just want to say to uh, what, you, what you ended with, which is that Princeton hopefully will be a beacon to other places, other universities, both nationally and internationally, uh, all I say is amen to that. I really hope that, in <laughs> fact, is uh, Princeton's role. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as we, we wrap up, we would love to thank our audio engineer, Jermaine Washington, and we will see you next time on the Princeton Tory Podcast. Mm -hmm.